With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So today is the day. Sorry, now I'm late and you have every reason to scream at me. We have movers actually in the house. So oh, we wow. are now is the time when old Joey here had to go through the top drawer of my closet. Ooh. You know what that means? We find some good stuff in there, Joey. Yeah, I mean there I th- there was a Latin American writer an author, and I don't know his name, who had a great quote. And he said, men have three lives. They have their public life, they have their private life, and they have their secret life. Mm. And I feel like in everybody's top drawer of their dresser resides their secret life. Mm. So I have baseball cards that are very uh, valuable in there. I have my dad's old Rolex in there. Really? I have a $500 bill signed by Mark McGuire when he hit home run number 500. <laughs> and then I have various other things that are in that drawer. But that, Wait a so minute. that, yeah, go ahead. Okay, hold on. A $500 bill. Yeah. Is that actual currency that has existed yeah. at some point? So there was yeah. a $500 bill that was printed. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, my wow. dad was big into like milestone dollar bill denominations. So when McGuire was going for 500, he went to his bank and had them give him a $500 bill. And then he had Mark. Now, I didn't do this. I, my dad gave it to me along with his Rolex uh, on his way out. And uh, he's made Mark sign the $500 bill when he hit the day he hit his 500th home run. Oh my gosh. This is I like this. And then what are the baseball cards that you have that are valuable in that top drawer? So my agent um they're not really overly valuable. They're right. just kind of uh I guess nostalgic in a way that okay. there's an old baseball card of my dad that was made. There's a baseball card of Joe Torre from his MVP season and I've done a million things with Joe Torre over the years. There's Tim McCarver cards. There's a Bob Gibson. My agent will send me baseball cards from 1969, the year I was born, uh, from people that I've had kind of multiple interactions with. Yeah. This is cool. I like this. You know, it's funny you say this, and this is not just, you know, bullshit to say, hey, I did this too to make good podcasting or whatever the hell it is you call it, but literally I don't know, maybe six days ago, I cleaned out my bedside top drawer, too. I can't imagine. <laughs> I what's swear to God, I, on my life, this is true. I did. Um, it's funny how that's how we synced up there, but it was just overflowing. I didn't have nearly as cool shit as you did. I mean, I had like highlighters and like weed 
from the 1920s. <laughs> you know, like I, I had a, a a tape measure. I have no idea why it was in there. I do. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just seeing if it, at 44 I've grown a little bit more. Yeah. You just never know when right. puberty ends. But you don't need the right. tape measure that's kind of the hard odd metallic thing you need something that's more like a a taylor's tape measure that's what i have i swear to god that's what i have it's an orange circular thing that's like sort of leathery and it's a soft tape measure so it's for taylor and that's what's in there i i because your issue is girth no it's not the girth (laughs) is fine (laughs) you you have i sent you one video and then this I is can't get that video out of my head. Every time I see, every time you <laughs> pop up on my Zoom screen, I picture you on a picnic table just flopping in the breeze. In, in slow motion. Yes, in slow motion, which is, I, I curse Steve Jobs for even putting that on an iPhone. <laughs> oh, God. I know, but that top drawer is an interesting. It's just this microcosm of your life. <laughs> it is. You know what I mean? It yes. really is. It's it's a good name for something, isn't it? Like the top drawer. Yeah. You know? Because it's so true. It's it's really amazing what you find in that top drawer. Because everything just gets thrown in there. It's like, it's like the, it's the trash of your life that you don't actually want to throw in the right. garbage. Yeah. You there, know? I, I, all, I pulled it out. There's a book. That says like the the secret marriage test to find if you're a good match for your spouse before you get married. That book is in there. <laughs> oh There's a tantric sex card thing with like a deck of cards with like every day, you know, 52 days straight, you're gonna do a, a new thing and never opened. <laughs> it's just sitting in there. <laughs> and then uh, there are all these cards from friends of ours that that gave them to us. I assume either at a shower or at our wedding of, hey, congrats, so happy for you too. This is unbelievable. Glad you found your match. You know, love so-and-so. So Mm -hmm. the question is, do you throw that shit away? It's a great question. I don't know. I mean, some stuff I actually did toss and then some is just back in the top drawer. You know, it hasn't hasn't finished its life. You put the 1920 weed back in there. I didn't. I threw all that stuff out. There's like roaches and weird shit in there, you know, and like a thousand real roaches, highlighters, like like yeah. living animals. Living no, no, insects. no, no. Like a roach, like meaning like a small piece of the joint that you oh. smoke down to the butt, you know. Oh, okay. But I also, as being an actor, I you know I highlight my lines, you know, to learn them. It's just sort of what I do. So I have like seventeen highlighters in there. Um, yeah. Different you know, colors again, are I, always the same colors. Different so colors, different colors. I have cords like, you know, USB cords, uh, weird adapters that don't mean shit anymore. Unbelievable. I, mean, I threw 20 cords away. I have no idea what yeah. they go to. I have a pair of uh, Beats by Dre that I've n- I haven't used in 10 years. 10 years. And, I, and there, it comes with a million red cords. And I was like, like, just throw this shit away. I'm not going to put my Beats by Dre on to get on an airplane. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably like to, 
but I'm just not going to lug it. It weighs 10 pounds and it's the size of another backpack. Like you need, you, uh, it needs shoulder straps to bring the Beats by Dre thing onto an airplane. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like the old cell phones, like the big bricks and like yeah, the big backpack, the bag battery phone. pack. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, if, if, if the, if the headphone case itself is that big, like I have more stuff that needs to go into my backpack for yeah. work. Like yeah. if I got nothing else going on and someday I've got like a toupee in there and uh, <laughs> an old picture of you and me at a member guest, maybe I'll bring the beats out because that's all I need. I don't have any space needed for anything else. But but as of now, as a working male or female or whatever, there's no room for the fucking beats. It doesn't work. No, no, I know. Well, it's nice because now we just have the little earbuds. Yeah. You know, they cancel out the noise. I know. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. I was just, uh, right before we came on, I was in a meditation. I'm trying to meditate more and just, f- you know, focus in and, and um, you know, I just, you're just going over shit in your life and trying to get calm. And the problem with the beats, though, with the earbuds is when a text comes in, it interrupts things and speaks the text to you. I, there's got to be a way and to turn that off. I, I hate that. I, I don't know how, but, you know, I, I was in this nice little flow, and then I've got a friend, my friend Alex Casson, and uh, all it was was, you know, the uh, was a stock that he likes, and is, it's called Silge, and all of those Alex stuff, says, a message from Alex Casson. <laughs> right, check out Silge. Meanwhile, that causes me more anxiety, because now I'm, I've got FOMO that I might be missing out on Silge, so... I'm now in a moment of, do I break this meditation to look at the stocks right now to maybe see what Silge is doing? <laughs> what is, uh, this is our first stock tip on daddy issues. Oh God, I don't, don't take the, t- it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an ETF. It's like a silver mining thing. I, I don't know, dude. I need a job. Basically what I'm telling you is I, I need a, an acting gig because right now, I'm an actor who's trying to play the stock market who doesn't know a goddamn thing about anything. Yeah, but you do way more research, and I'm proud of you for this, and I'm calling myself out. You do way more research on potential investments than I do. I, I just I blindly try, I try. jump, and you, you, go, you go the complete opposite way. And you're like down to how many paper clips their uh, office manager bought – last thursday i know i know i i i just need to stick with with what i know you know i'm trying to get into the whole cryptocurrency world because again i have fomo like i don't part of what i'm realizing about myself in my my middle age is i've got this fear of missing out on things when normally i haven't and and it's all these cryptocurrencies and this and that and the amc stock is blowing up and you know, I was it was down to like six dollars or something. I'm like, I'm gonna buy AMC, and then what I is that? The, the the theater chain, it's the movie chain, but it's this meme stock that's going up and down, and people are manipulating it. But Joe, I need help. I, I need an intervention. Has anyone called for their own intervention? You write a letter to yourself. You're good at that from okay. days gone by. Journal, okay. And yeah. the, but you're gonna have to send out the invitations to your own intervention. I'll send it like a paperless post. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Click here for hey, Oliver's everyone. intervention sent to you by Oliver. That'd be actually funny. Right. RSVP, yes or no. To Oliver. 
<laughs> We're holding it idea. at a time between podcast tapings. Uh, yeah, I, I, li- I like uh, where you're going here. I, imagine if uh, imagine if no one showed up for my own intervention. Jeez, that'd be rough. This is like a Larry David episode. <laughs> oh God. Uh, how's everything else? How, everything's how's your family, good. It's man? just crazy because we're we're between houses, and and nobody wants to hear about any of this bullshit. But we're we we have to get out of this house. One of our sons is sick. Oh, we're packing up everything, and the place where we're moving is not ready for us to move into. So it's just we're like in this ether world of I guess how never, could one Neverland with. With twins, how's one sick and the other not? I think it's a good study on their immune system. Mm-hmm. So Blake clearly has I'm not even gonna say it. It's just I'm way too superstitious to even have that come out of my mouth. Okay. Uh, Let's just leave it at that. I was just gonna say one of them had a better <laughs> immune system than the other, evidently, because uh, he fended off whatever his twin brother and they're they're they are just fighting like crazy in a funny good way. They're not Mm-hmm. fighting like hey like baby stuff but they are really hitting I, I mean they're they're physical like throwing each other around and they're laughing oh and good I, yeah oh that's good they're playing yeah my but- boys i mean maybe because they're twins but they never they never got physical you know they never got physical i'm, I'm at this point with the boys anyway right now where you know wilder's 13 he's definitely hitting his stride in puberty for sure and Bodie, my middle one, does not have his own friends. Never has. Ever. His crew is Wilder's crew, and they all accept him. But I fear the moment when Wilder's 16 or something, and then Bodie's 13 or 14, and if there's a separation that happens, if, if Wilder at some point says, hey, you know what? You're too little now. And uh, that would nah. break my heart. So I, I'm just I, it won't. I, I, That won't I happen. Worried. I don't think that'll happen. I really don't. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know why that would happen, though. They're so close and they're so, I mean, first of all, they look to me as an outsider that's seen them maybe five times in person. They look identical to me. It just looks like one smaller than the other. Really? Yeah, they got that little Southern California little surfer look. <laughs> they kind of pisses me off. That. As a Midwesterner, the look of your kids kind of pisses me off. <laughs> why? Just because they're like, like the you know, they're tan. Look. They're tan. They got their fucking hairs kind of got naturally blonde tips to right. it. Unless kinda they're you're doing, yeah, they're shaggy. They're cool. They're like cooler than me. I think is what it really boils down to. <laughs> so that bothers me. Uh, that's funny. That's uh, Jason's funny. on. I think is he? I don't know if Jason can hear us. I see his little square up there on our Zoom. How does it, I've got my headphones on, I can hear my mic in my headphones, but I can only hear you guys on the laptop. Should I, uh, should I take off these headphones just take and just one listen to off. you like this? How's that sound? Unless you enjoy the sound of your own voice. It's pretty good. It's it, pretty is good. good. it is pretty good. It's my alarm good. clock, actually. It just says, is it? hi. It says, hi. <laughs> How is sleepies? Um, <laughs> Oliver's uh, Oliver's alarm clock applauds, and it just says that was amazing. Is this all? Uh, this is all being recorded, right? This is all yeah. great stuff for the podcast. That's great. No, this this is the kind of stuff we put in. 
we're so in. So like go to voice notes. Sure. You're yeah. Talking, you're talking to granddad here. Um, I, I, we're the, we're you, the exact same age, despite the fact I'm that you look you. 10 years younger than me. We are the exact same You guys age. are the same age? Yeah. Yeah, but baby's 1969. on 1969. What month were you born? April. Oh, You're January. So I'm the old man. I was born in January. Have you guys, uh, have you do thought you know, about HGH? Monk. I mean, do you, are, are we on HGH? HGH? No, but um, could you hook me up? Yeah, I got some friends who are who are actually administering HGH to themselves and peptides and all this shit. Well, peptides, I think, is just like supposed to keep you somewhat young yeah. and elasticity yeah. and all of that good stuff. Right, well, peptides um, are supposed to are supposed to sort of bring out the H the natural HGH in your body, you know, but. I don't know. HGH is not a bad thing. I think it gets mm, a bad rap. God, Oliver, shut up. Don't, don't throw that out there. Just don't throw that out there. That don't, you can't say that. Why not? It's, I, I'm not playing baseball, dude. I, it's not like illegal. No, I, I just I don't think I, if you start self-administering things that make your cells multiply, divide, multiply, divide, multiply, and there's something wrong with you, that's the problem. And so the second no. problem is testosterone in general is why men live shorter lifespans than women. So you're now making this, this uh, it's great for a short amount of time, and then you're really people, aging yourself. No, but people are on human growth hormone therapies. I mean, that's like actors, half of Hollywood is doing HGH, and it's being administered by a doctor with the correct dosage. I mean, right, it's so not they can an sort of like thing. size up for a part, right? If they're playing a superhero, they get a little yeah, bit or, cycle. Sure, or I think, or just for, you know, I think it's just self-care too. I think if you do it right, I mean, look, I don't here's, do it. Here's what, here's what I heard. We had him <laughs> on, uh, on um, the podcast. You guys should try to grab him too. Uh, I think he even has maybe one of his own podcasts. His name's David Sinclair. He's a, he's a doctor out of Harvard. And he heads up the department there on, I'm not sure what you call it, but it's something about longevity. And the science is all based on sort of this micro fasting thing where, I mean, obviously it's a great way to control weight and everything, but uh, what it also does is, and I'll, I'll destroy this because I'm not a scientist, but the, 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 the basics of it is that if you can get, if you can not eat for like, I think it's 15 hours or something like that each day, Um, you, you get your body into a place of hunger, not starvation, but hunger that triggers a protein that eats the stuff that will eventually kill you. So like Mm. none of us catch cancer or leukemia or whatever kills you. It's all inside of us. And then depending on how you live your life, you will turn those things on or off. If you have been a bad eater or smoker or drinker or whatever, if you if you get into this place of hunger for 15 it eats away at those things that 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 will kill you one day so he says this generation will live very typically into their late 90s and and maybe even 100 just like 50 years ago it was very common for people to die at 50 or 60 this gen okay. it's going to become very very common because people will start to uh, practice this like we're the only species that eats more than once a day apparently like every other mm-hmm. animal just eats once and we eat three times a day and all that stuff eventually starts to tax your system. And, uh, so is it ketosis? Is this about like putting your body into a state of ketosis through intermittent fasting? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is. Again, are you practicing this intermittent fasting? I'm not. Are you calling me fat? That's a shot right (laughs) there. You look, 
you you look fucking great, by the way. I mean, you on. do Chill look younger than Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I agree. One hundred percent. But all of this stuff is projected. I, I mean, there's right, no yes, there's, there's no. Yeah. But but just like the, the, the vaccine, they don't they can't. They only had three months of data and they had to get get to market. And so, right. yeah, so this it will take a lifetime to have an accurate trial. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with, because it's, it's pretty low impact, right? You, you, you stop stuffing your face at seven at night and then you go to bed at nine 30 question mark guys with kids. Mm -hmm. And then you Mm -hmm. wake up and you don't eat again until 10, 11, Mm. something like that's doable. I mean, but yeah. half, half your listeners are already doing that. Well, we used and, to actually exactly. promote Athletic Greens, which I hear now on your podcast, no longer on our podcast. <laughs> so I actually have it right sitting off to the side here. That was that's kind of like a, a vitamin blast in the morning with like the size of water that you're drinking or whatever you're drinking right there. So you and, just gave them a legitimate ad right there. That's I mean, yeah. Well, I like it. I like you're it. You're gonna get nothing for that. You get nothing for that. No. I don't need to monetize everything in my I life. I try. I think, well, I do. I think I you try. do. I, I've heard about your overhead. <laughs> it's oh, <laughs> you have no idea. Ex-wife, uh, twenty-plus-year-old daughters, three-year-old twins, second wife, moving into a new. Yeah, my overhead is absurd. So I uh, and Fox I, does not fly you. You no. have to fly yourself, or or they will yeah. pick up a rental car to drive you from state to state. But Correct. if you want to fly, that's on your dime. They reimburse me first class airfare. So if if I'm going in in October and I'm going baseball, football, baseball, football, and I want to, you know, let's say potentially do that privately. Sorry for my carbon footprint, LA guys, but uh, yeah, I, I I have to pick that up. Well, but I mean, can, you can I'm sure chop this out if you want, but you're not flying private every weekend. The no. amount of the amount of travel you're I mean, you and your colleagues, I would well, have Troy imagined. has a plane. So a lot of times I'll get to Dallas, however I get to Dallas, and then I'll jump. He's very generous with the he's like, Hey, I've got eight seats, so come on. And and so he'll fly people from an East Coast game of ours back to Dallas. They'll get on a flight back to LA if they live in LA and then vice versa. So he's we get coverage and and it, you just kind of piece it all together. I don't I just know. Just can't imagine the guys in your position that are the, the 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 top in on their network for all sports. The guys that are flying every weekend, like you and Jim Nance, and what that that would not just be sort of a prerequisite of the deal. Like we can't ask this guy to be everywhere every weekend. We have to offer to fly him private at a minimum. I just must have a shitty agent. I don't yeah. know. I feel, yeah. Al gets flown. Mm-hmm. And and good for him. He should get flown. He's the best, and he's seventy six years old. And we just went through a pandemic, so he he should be in a in bubble wrap with a snorkel. Just get on a plane. You played with Al at Bel Air. Uh, it's been a little bit. I played with him at Tahoe in the Tahoe uh, celebrity thing. I have a blast with Al. I don't he's know great. Jim Nance at all. I, I mean, I really. I, we've only. Uh, he's also a member out there, right? And, and he is right here. He is, and he loves uh, he loves toast. That's a that's toast. a stroke. He's, he he loves toast. So he's got good game, but he's no Ollie Hudson, right? Who I, is really? There, no. I I swear to you, Jason, Oliver Hudson. I played with I played with 
tour players. I've played with John Smoltz, my baseball partner, who plays on the senior, the, the champions tour. I don't see anybody that's been in another, except another lefty. I played with a, a, a Bel Air guy, Marty Fish, the other day. His Marty's his good, his swing is as no nonsense as any. But I feel like Oliver, your swing is more powerful and looks more uh, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's 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 good. I will say it's good. But I, I'm I'm in a, I'm in a rut right now. I'm actually after this podcast, I'm going to Urban Golf because I have to figure out my driver shaft. <laughs> You know, now I drove by Urban Golf. There's a handsome one. Uh, where was I? I was in Santa Monica. On Wilshire? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, is there another the one? one? It's the first one I've driven by again. I've heard about it nonstop. What goes on in there? Is it is it a place I want it's to go It's great. To? Obviously, it's weed. Great, there's weed if Oliver's in there. It's <laughs> yeah, like a yeah. weed cafe. So for sure. Weed, they, yeah. they check your, your, your ID, drives, like, give you a little dime bag, and then <laughs> yeah, you get installed. Right. Like, oh, try the Aldula, man. Try Aldula's great. <laughs> you need regular flex, bro. Regular flex. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so what's what's giving you um, trouble in your in your swing, Oliver? Maybe I can help you out. Um, well, it's right now I am swaying too much. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the takeaway of the golf club, instead of creating that torque, I'm a lefty. So my left hip is actually pushing back instead of just turning. Got and it. I need to keep that, you know, solid and tight and stay over the ball. But it's been pretty good. But Urban Golf is a great spot, dude, because they've got you've got instruction, they've got golf workout, they've got club fitting and all top of the line facility stuff. You know, I'm getting into that. Here's getting another into free ad. Right? Here's another free ad. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. free ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah, you are. You're, hit, you're hitting. You're hitting into yeah, but it's in the simulator. But it's it's fucking awesome. Really? And they have sports psychologists there if you ever need <laughs> Start it. Start there. Well, that's if you get into a bad bag and you want to call yeah. your mom. You know, right. <laughs> it's too this is never gonna end. <laughs> Give me some OJ, please. <laughs> Oh my God, Joe! How's your weed intake? Good. Me? You got it right where you want it. Yeah. How's Me? what's the law I, like? We Missouri? talk about somehow. I you know I don't even know. Honest to God, I I I feel like these thing these shops are starting to pop up, but somehow Jason, our podcast without fail gets into the weeds with weed every fucking time, and I I don't. Yeah. I mean, Oliver and I, Oliver tries to pull me <laughs> to the dark side. We've gone from conversation the now about dark dude, side. Okay, shut the, up. That's not my point. Oliver has okay. tried to pull me. We've gone from him doing the weed, 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 weed to now it's like mushrooms. You got to do mushrooms. You got to microdose mushrooms. It's going to change Apparently, your life. That's actually very helpful and and uh, like a legit positive scientific i don't want to say breakthrough but they, they i think they figured out how to use it and work it yeah um, and ketamine a lot of research well. being done and ketamine too yeah ketamine my friend my friend just did a 10 session ketamine drip and it he said it was i was on ketamine for my lipo surgery hang on yeah what do you mean lipo surgery yeah here we go here we were go. you heavy at one point uh, yeah, Did I grew up with it out of you? Yeah, I mean, just stuff that, you know, was starting to droop. I okay. I, I, I bypassed the whole uh, keto ketosis thing and the uh-huh. this, the the fasting. The I intermittent just went, fasting. The intermittent <laughs> fasting. I was like, just jam that thing as far as you fucking can into my gut and let's go. 
let's, well, let's it party. Was a, it was a gut. It wasn't. It wasn't a man boob suck out with a little pen. No, up. they got some up there too. Yeah, yeah. They they went everywhere. That oh. was kind of a surprise bow on bow on top that I wasn't even aware of until you, I came you, out. You, you woke up and you had a couple of cuts on your boobs too, huh? Yeah. Like, I was like, wait, <laughs> I don't need this bra anymore. Phenomenal. I don't hey, ever, let's go I've do some more ketamine. For, I've been looking at you for years. I've, I've never seen you look heavy. I'll send all. you some, I'll text you some pictures of me as a kid. Really? It doesn't, it, yeah. As a kid. Okay. And then it just kind of hangs around and it doesn't ever well, really to be fair, go. To be fair, to be fair though, Joe, like, you know, you work out, you stay, you try to stay as fit oh, as you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. You just couldn't get rid of the, rid of that shit around like your low belly, belly and your, fat and your titties. And then my, yeah. yeah, my chest was bigger than I wanted it to be. So yeah, that, that stuff, I work out, I talk to my trainer. That's one of my best friends. He's like, just do it. I do it because you're too obsessed about it and you work out too hard and we've, we, we can't get rid of this. So, yeah. Now, I mean, are you looking for opportunities to take your top off? Are you out there washing no, the car out in your driveway? No, no, the kids that get picked on for being fat on the playground, that never goes away. I look at myself as like the guy that needs to get cut out of the house at some point in his life. Right. So, yeah. inside, inside your 650, right? Inside, I'm, I'm, yeah, my 600 pound life starring oh, Joe Buck. Outside, people, even my wife's like, are you, I, I am going to, punch you i'm so sick of hearing about this but that's did you did you get actually get picked on a lot at school oh my god yeah yeah you did. You. you're like you're 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 a lean mean narrow i mean big headed big foreheaded i, I just I had know. my ninth hair replacement surgery how about nice. that one it looks by the way it's looking good it's not even in yet it's not I even know, in but yet still, like, and look at you Bateman. you too have a bicep tattoo yeah dog Oliver, you look what is the same or not? I've got, I've got, I've got a tattoo on my shoulder. I've got my three kids on my shoulder, and then I have a tattoo that I got done in the in in, in Tahiti at my mom's sixtieth birthday. Everyone was there. Everyone got a tattoo, and some, you know, sort of old school tattoo artists. And uh, the minute he put the needle in, I had a reaction and threw up everywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Old Mom. Man. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you like conversations with legendary actors, like today's episode with Jason the Man Bateman, go check out one of our past episodes with Rob Lowe, where we discuss everything from parenting and raising sons to Rob's relationship with his dad, career choices transcendental meditation tm sobriety and much much more go check it out i'm finding stuff out right now to this day i'm finding stuff out that my kids did that i had no idea and we were as hands-on wide awake under no illusions as you could possibly be and we still didn't know i tell people i tell if you have a the smallest inkling, the smallest, most unsubstantiated inkling that your kid might, in the most unlikely scenario, be doing something, they are doing it, <laughs> and they're doing it a lot more than you can imagine. Right. <laughs> right. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this short break with more from today's guest, Jason Bateman.
Um, so Joe, you're in Missouri, right? I am. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Ozarks, by the way? I have. I spent a week there. Um, and when we did our first episode, uh, we shot a few scenes there and then, um, I went up in a helicopter with the cameraman and we shot a bunch of, uh, you know, flyovers. And yeah. Those are great shots. I, I'm looking for like party cove and all the other stuff that's down in the Ozarks. I know you shoot Ozark, which is everybody's favorite in Atlanta, right? In and around Atlanta. Yeah, we're at, yes, exactly. Yeah, the, it, everything is done in, in Atlanta, in the tax-friendly state of Georgia. Now, if Missouri mm-hmm. had a nice thirty percent kickback, we'd be there. What's you going should on? Mm-hmm. just do. Do you ever do appearances in the Ozarks? Um, come see, come see, Mister Fish. You know, <laughs> no, not, but, no, no, Marty, Marty Bird. That's, Marty a, that's Bird, another animal. Exactly. Um, there is a bar there apparently now called Marty Birds, I think. But but it doesn't do the business that uh, there's a bar there that apparently does real well. And it's probably attributed just to the name alone. It's called Big Dick's Halfway In. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, you got to go there just for ever. the T-shirt. I mean, that's <laughs> unbelievable. By the way, Jason, in the time that we've gotten to uh, – schedule this oliver and i have excuse me also scheduled a round table with george w bush clinton obama (laughs) trump and now biden we got all those people together before we could fucking get you on this podcast you're amazing i I, I i'm I'm, i work for the government as well as i do the acting uh and the directing (laughs) i just uh let me ask you a question though Jason, why did you? Why are you doing a podcast? I'm just curious. You are so busy. Like, what, it's a great what question. Are you doing? Yeah, and I apologize for the scheduling nonsense. Um, I'm the, just kidding. Um, I, I'm we're no, happy you're it, on. It, but it is true. It was we tried four or five times. Maybe. And your assistant's um, great. I feel like I'm stalking her. I feel no, like I'm going to get a restraining order. No. Um, <laughs> so the podcast came from. Um, uh, it was basically a COVID baby, you know, I mean, I was sitting mm-hmm. here in my PJs for 14 months and uh, uh, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes and I uh, ha- had a couple of phone calls just kind of catching up. And then I think we might have done a Zoom at one point. And then uh, Will said that he was going to do a podcast and it was a, some, you know, dog shit about recovery and you know sobriety and all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) um you know i listen i i I joke because he and i both battle but um uh and then you know our buddy is dak shepherd and dak's been making it hand over fist for a few years oh my god we we read him all the time about how loaded he is and so i said well i said well i want to get some of that dax money i'm doing whatever podcast (laughs) we're doing i'm doing it with you he goes no you're not i said yes i am it's going to be easier for you you split the thing so um and then i saw sean hayes at a dinner afterwards and i i told him that i that i crashed uh wills or promised to and he said, well, I want to get in on that, too. So I told Will, I said, heads up, Sean's coming, too. I, I'm sorry, pal, but just d- duck his calls. And then uh, and then, like the adults in our lives kind of got wind of it and they really encouraged us to do it. And so we just did it and we decided to, you know, have it be an interview show. And then I said, well, I don't like to do a lot of work or prep or anything. So let's take turns inviting a guest. And then the deal is you can't tell the other two guys who the guest is so that they don't have to prep. So we'll mm-hmm. just surprise the other person. And that's as stupid and lo-fi as it is. And I can't believe people are still listening to it. But Yeah, I know. But, but, but the problem is you're splitting it three ways now. So that Dax money is so far away. 
Yeah, we'll keep your knees bent. Uh, Sean might not be with us very long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, By the way, d- fucking Dax. Yeah. He cashed right. in, man. We, we, Katie and I, my sister and I did a podcast on the heels of that. Dax yeah. was making that kind of dough. And we're like, let's try to get in on this game. But that dude is just. He's doing real it. well. He's also doing, doesn't he do two or three a week? And then they're two hours yeah. each. So yeah, he's he, a lot he's of ads there. He's just monetizing the shit out of his but life. But that sounds really horrible. That's, yeah. That sounds like a job. This is, is what we all do is fun. Like I. I would call Oliver and I do this clearly not for the money. We do this because we enjoy catching up once a week. And if you're that good of friends with Will and Sean, that part, I would assume for somebody like you, as successful as you are, supersedes whatever you can make off. of It, it. is. It is. It's t- yes, you're right. We, uh, however, this is also a good opportunity for us to talk to some of the people that we wouldn't necessarily get a chance to talk to unless we were at some, you know, highbrow scientist convention or Mm -hmm. some stuffy Hollywood award show or something. You know, this is kind of, um, I only get a chance to talk to my friends either on the golf course or at a Dodger Mm -hmm. game, full stop. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, I used to go out a lot when I was a kid, but now with wife and kids, as you guys know, it's where do you get a chance to socialize and talk to your buddies? So as you were saying, you get to do it here with Oliver. Um, But then you add somebody to it. Now you can ask questions with, of that person. I don't know. It just, it seemed to make sense. And so far it's, it's still, it's still fun because we're only doing it once a week. Well, I joked with Oliver that, and this is the honest to God's truth. I used to get in my wife's car and our podcast was like sitting there, like she had been listening to it. Right. Now I get in her car because the kids' car seats are in that car, <laughs> and your podcast is on it. So in some weird, in some weird corner of my mind, I feel like she's cheating on me by listening to you guys do your thing, and and I you know then I listen to it and I listen to your podcast more than I listen to our podcast. So now I'm doing the same thing because it's really good. I, I thought initially there might be too many voices. But because the voices are so different, I think it works. It, it's it's a good mix. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, it, we weren't smart enough to think about that ahead of time, but I actually did that actual, that, that part right there dawned on me the other day. And I thought, cause I don't, I've only listened to it twice for some yeah. reason. I don't listen to it. Cause I watch everything that I do. I try to learn like, Oh my God, that sucks. Never make that face again or whatever. You know, I, I kind of teach myself how to be less bad as an actor, but in the this voice thing, I, I'm not feeling drawn to listen to it because I feel like I was there. But I listened to a couple of the other, and then I realized that you you would think that the listener would be unclear as to who's talking, but there really is a distinct. I mean, certainly Will sounds like I don't know what some sort of drunk sailor, and then uh, he know, did. I've so. never heard a voice like Will's. Is that a put on? I don't know. No, Will. it's really the same publicist. He's like standing around the house, like hey. Uh, I've never heard that kind of a real voice. You know, he's been the voice of GMC trucks for over 20 years, I think. that I mean, that pays for everything in his life. And then on top of that, he makes his money with the acting. And he's a voice of Reese's. And he was the voice of Bank of America. And I mean, it's just, it's bananas what he did. Wow. Cartoons and... We're doing something wrong. Well, we you all got like me, a Hyundai me, Sonata. What did I see you? I, I heard you. I'm doing a Hyundai. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been doing that a couple of years, and then and then I finally That's great. 
I finally your, did. Your voice is more Hyundai. Yeah, and then we yeah, Will it's Hyundai. They've, they've sponsored our baseball and football games, and they're and I'm like brought to you by Hyundai. And no, Hyundai. <laughs> you like you payment. just said it. And right. now the, the, you just said Hyundai, and and if you if you mispronounce a corporation's name on those billboards, let's go to the fifth inning, and uh, it's brought to you by. I used to say Audi instead of Audi, and and just like the whole world. St- it doesn't matter if you fuck up the score. It's a double, not a home run, Joe. Don't if you mess up those names. It's Hyundai. They're like Hyundai, mm. like Sunday. You have Did to. Did I say Hyundai? No, Oliver said Hyundai. I Oliver. said Hyundai. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Hyundai. They they are they are they they do drill that into you early. Um, no, they've been really really <laughs> nice to me. Um, and uh, Will gave me shit on. Uh, he was on Conan, I think, the other day, and Conan was talking about. So you're the voice of GFC, and doesn't Jason Bateman do it? He's like. Yeah, you know, it's perfect. He's doing a Hyundai. You know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, you know, small, small car and sensible, reasonable. You know, I do professional grade. You know, I get shit done. He's just going to kind of get you there when he gets you there and probably for a cheap price. <laughs> he was, uh, he was not, not kind. Before but, we uh, get into you, before we get into your life, uh, Jason, I, I do want to say one other thing. You mentioned the I, I brought up mushrooms earlier. You bring up Conan. Have you did you see the appearance of Bill Burr on Conan talking about being fifty plus? I don't know. He's he's a little bit oh. older than us, Jason. He's like I'm I'm over fifty. I've got two little kids. I didn't want to die saying I never did this stuff. I keep hearing about it, so I took mushrooms. Not a lot, and it felt like the TV was breathing and the wall was moving. That's about how far it went. Never tripped before, blah, blah, blah. And I came out of it, and I realized that I'm a guy, this is paraphrasing, but I'm a guy that just wants to be loved. I'm a helicopter pilot. Do you love me? I'm a comedian. I'm the funniest guy in the room. Don't you love me? And I came out of it, and he's like, I don't know why I've been such an asshole. I want to start doing comedy through empathy. And I'm not as mean and as mad as I was before, which mm-hmm. to me is exactly Oliver. Mm-hmm. What why you saying. should take mushrooms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, from what I understand, if I'm if I'm if I'm getting ahead of your question here, if I understand what the uh, LSD and mushrooms and well, I guess LSD since it, since it was manufactured, the reason behind that, and from what I understand, mushrooms has this, a similar effect is that it puts you outside of the only part of our brain that we use, which is one-tenth, apparently. So there's another nine-tenths. So everything we know, as brilliant as this brain is, we're only using a tenth of it. There's another nine-tenths that goes unused. And the LSD puts you in that other side such that you can get true objective um, perspective on it. So you actually look outside of who you are and you can look at the stuff that like you love brick houses instead of red, uh, instead of wood houses. Like, why is that? Or you like chocolate. instead of, In other words, it hits a reset on everything such that you can decide, well, that doesn't really work for me anymore. I don't really like that part of myself. I mean, I'm uh, paraphrasing all that crap, but it sounds like he had a similar experience yeah. to what the best possible experience you could have with that stuff. And, and you're never the same afterwards in, in the best sense is, is what I understand is, is the, is the goal of all that. Well, yeah. I think that there's, 
There's obviously a ton of research that's being done now, a lot of money that is being thrown at the research for psilocybin and the sort of medicinal effects of it through, you know, anxiety, depression, all of that. We actually interviewed a guy who was heading up the program at Johns Hopkins on psilocybin and they don't microdose. We asked, I asked about microdosing. They don't do that. They give you a macro dose and they put you in a room. And I'm sure your oh, yeah. listener would love to hear it is all strictly overseen and there's a chaperone. Yes, yes. You, you shouldn't be doing oh. this on your own probably, right? Yes. No, no. Correct. You have a they, they have they have a my heart rate monitors on you and all that to make yeah. you feel comfortable to actually let go, you know, to deal with all kinds See, of See, that's stuff. where if it was micro, if it was mini, whatever's smaller, my brain would override. I feel like my my worry, <laughs> which Oliver knows, would override anything that's in that was put in me so that I would just worry about it the entire time and not enjoy it one second. So that's, yeah, that's you would have anxiety going into yes, it that would not be right. able to be superseded right. by whatever that's, medicinal benefit. That's right, right. exactly. Well, do you get do you get any anxiety? Where do you do you have any anxiety on air ever? No. But you no. did, I would imagine at some point. Ever? I did when I was a little, you know, when I was a kid, when I was doing AAA in, at 19. I was doing the Cardinals at 21 and doing the NFL at 24. I mean, I that stuff is so long ago to me right. that – but it's funny, and I was going to ask you, and then I, I, I'm going to stop dominating this thing. I, it's funny. I was going to ask you, you know, I, I know you don't listen to your own stuff. I don't really listen to this podcast that much because I don't like grading myself. Oliver doesn't listen, doesn't watch a lot of stuff. But if I go back and I watch a World Series I did when I was 27 in 1996, there's enough separation where I'm not thinking about what I was thinking about in the moment, which kind of ruins it. I, it's, it's kind of a pure way of looking at your own performance. So I'm, I'm wondering for you that has so much on tape and, and from really every stage of your life, are you able now as a father – to look at your old stuff from the 80s and go, you know what? I, I don't know what I was thinking in that moment. I don't know what my insecurities were. But as just a viewer watching this kid on TV, are you able to appreciate how good it was? Well, that's that's nice of you. I actually had the, the opposite um, uh, feeling. For some reason, I think somebody sent me a, a, an old um, uh, Carson appearance that I, I did when I was, I don't know, 12 or something like that. Oh, my God. And it's so good. You're so at ease. I, it's am- I've watched that. That is so amazing. Oh, really? Because, see, like, I saw it and I just thought, what a douchebag. Look at this fucking kid. <laughs> he thinks he's just so no. bitching. No. I just, but there was no reason why I should be as kind of, you know, elbows slung over the back of the chair, kind of like, come on, 12-year-old, have some respect. Right. No, I think it's the other way. If, well, if you were I, nervous, it would drive you more nuts. You, you didn't know what you didn't know. You didn't know if you do that but, now. I guess I what I'm saying is that I, I think, although I don't remember exactly what was going through my head, I do remember the difference between the my adolescence and my and my adulthood um, in that when I was an adolescent, I sort of I knew how to act like I wasn't nervous. I knew how to mm-hmm. pretend that I was confident, like I knew what that veneer I knew how to act when I wasn't acting. And, uh, you know, I think to a certain degree, everybody understands how to do that. 
Um, you know, like you're a different way around your grandma than you are around your best friend. And, and you're, 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 you know how to manipulate your behavior and be convincing to the person who's watching. Like if your grandma's telling you a boring story, you know how to be politely interested or at least so that she thinks you are. Um, that's all acting is. Um, some people say, oh, I don't know how you do what you do. It's so difficult. It's like, no, it's not. Everyone does it every single day. It's not that. And in, and in this case, I, I knew how to act when I wasn't acting such that I wasn't really being myself. Like I really, it would have been more charming. I think watching it in retrospect, if I was as nervous as a 12 year old is on the friggin' But was that conscious? Were you consciously as a 12 year old consciously making that decision? Like, okay, time to turn it on Jason. Exactly. And that's, and that's my, that's my problem with it, you know, is that I was wasting a lot of time being polished when I should have just been being human. And Let me ask you a question, though. Do you do that now? No, I mean, I, I certainly all. know. I certainly know how. And yes, I mean, it's right. important to you know if I'm going in for like a job interview and it's not going to be cute or charming to have flop sweat, I can talk myself into being at least level. So mm-hmm. I'll take myself to there, but I won't put on an artifice that like, hey, you know, you're lucky to have me, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. garbage that you might think when you were a younger kid is the way to land a job or land the girl or whatever it is. I've kind of come to the point, you know, now at 52 that the goal, the, the target is to be human and participate in, in, in every moment of every day without any BS. I mean that I try to do that and it's a it's a it's an ambitious goal but maybe that's because I'm so exhausted just being an actor with my with my day job I don't want to do any yeah. acting when I'm you know <laughs> right. Why did you start acting? How did that all come about? I mean you were so young with your sister yeah. as well. My um my dad was a a a writer, director, actor, producer um kind of freelance his whole life and his passion was movies and stuff like that. So he would take me to movie theaters instead of to the park to throw the ball. Um, And so he started to explain to me what good acting is and what bad acting is and why, and the same thing with directing. I'm like, what is a producer doing? So I got really interested in the, in the business. And then a friend of ours, my dad's age, um, it was a neighbor and he was going to audition one day and he, he, I was outside helping my dad wash his car. My dad had his top, had his top off. Um, watch the car. And, <laughs> and, I, and, uh, and uh, the neighbor said, Hey, Jason, want to come with me to this audition um, and just see how one goes? And I was like, Dad, can I go? He's like, Sure. So I went and they were reading for the role of the sun that day, too. Um, so he gave me the sides, you know, the little pieces of paper with the dialogue on it and says, Go in there and make it look like you know what you're doing. And just if they say, Who are you? Just say, Oh, they must have missed putting me on the list. So I went in there and I read for this thing. I ended up getting it. So I said to my dad, I said, well, let's take some pictures of me and send them into an agent and let's see if I can maybe, you know, do some commercials and stuff, make a little bit of money, buy a bike. So, so we did that. And then, you know, one commercial leads to a, you know, an, a pilot audition or whatever. And then it just kind of took off from there. That was it. Wow. And your dad was supportive of that Meaning, of course, he was in the business, yeah. you know, as as I am, as my mother was, but she actually held Kate back just because she didn't want her to be exposed to all of the bullshit at that right. young of an age, you know, and I guess your parents were okay with well, that. Well, they were because, you know, my parents were not as successful as yours in that, you know, my dad didn't, my dad kind of knew that the industry had its challenges, but- Certainly not like, you know, your mom would with, you know, my um, 
I, I wouldn't let my kids go at this, at this young an age into it um, for really for the main reason of the goal of an actor is to pretend you are somebody else. And if you, if you train yourself to really be convincing at that at an age prior to when you really know who you are, you can not develop schizophrenia, but you can, <laughs> you can, you can delay the moment of reasonable clarity about who you really are, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's kind of getting back to my other point about now that I kind of have a pretty good idea of who I am, I want to be that. And when I was young, I kind of knew how to be different than what my instinct was. And that would get confusing at times. Um, and so I just don't think it's a healthy mental, spiritual kind of growth speed for uh, a kid. But did your dad shepherd you, you know, along yeah, this process? Yeah, he was, he was and, great. And he was pumped that yeah. I was getting into it. Just like, you know, if uh, if, if you had a parent that was a, a, a ball player, you know, and then, you know, he's throwing ball with you out of the park and then you get, you know, recruited. It's, it's like, yeah, let's go. I'll drive you to every single game, you know? Um, so we had a really good time. He taught me a ton about everything I needed to know and was on set with me until I was 18. And, um, and even, you know, was my manager. Uh, and then um, so I kind of flew out of the nest and trying to stay hired, you know? How does that go when your dad is your manager? I mean, everything was cool. Are you paying him 20%? It was cool. No, what was it back then? It was 15. <laughs> it was 15, which is steeper than it is today. Now it's 10. Um, it made, it made, it made sense. And it also doesn't make sense. I mean, it made sense in this, in, in the, the, with respect to, he wasn't able to go to his job because he had to be on set with me. What, you know, being my uh, guardian while I'm doing my job. So how does he get compensated? And if he is providing managerial duties, um, which is, you know, advice and strategy and, and, and interpretation of career opportunities and all that kind of garbage, whatever a manager does, he was doing that. So you could make a case for it on paper. Traditionally though, as a, as a father to a son, son to a father, should you be paying a salary to your parent? Well, on paper, probably not, but you know, you try to balance, you know, normalcy in an abnormal world, I mean, I'm still doing it at 52, trying to figure out, you know, what's weird and what isn't, you know. It seems like mm-hmm. an odd question to ask on the heels of that, but were you close with your dad? I mean, yeah. you're close in proximity, very. but was he, okay. So he, yeah, he was very, the, the hands-on dad that 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 gave you the kind of love and support you needed other than For sure, than for sure. And, and, my, and my mom too. But, you know, at, since the dynamic was altered at that age, whereby... I'm contributing to being able to hit the overhead each month and that my employment or lack of has an effect over that. There's a certain amount of pressure uh, that you might not otherwise feel at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So the, the dynamic between parent and child is, is less sort of, traditional and deferential, right? I'm never, I'm not now looking up to my North star mom, dad, like they're going to work every single day. And one day I'm going to get out of school and hope, hopefully I can get a job and get a roof over my head. It was much more peer to peer at an, at an earlier age, which can lead to bad shit. I mean, yeah, exactly. So now we're now, yeah, we're peers, we're buddies, we're, we're, we're colleagues at an age when, 
usually you kind of, you have no idea what it's like to, to, to be that age and to deal with mortgage payments. I was a part of all of that stuff at an early age, but the plus side of it is that it let me feel like I could take on adult responsibility at a young age, which helped me from not having a panic attack when I'm on set starting at 10 um, mm-hmm. and dealing with adults and, you know, being in front of cameras and audiences and, So I took the positive from it and still do to this day, you know. If you're enjoying this episode of Daddy Issues, which we all know that you are, don't keep it to yourself, okay? Share the love. Tell a friend about Daddy Issues and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell everybody. (laughs) Tell everybody. Tell everyone. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with Jason Bateman coming up right after this short break. When did you sort of go into the dark, hit the dark side? You know, when did you start boozing and doing all the bad shit? Well, uh, I mean, as soon as I could, really. I mean, I was, I was, um, you know, working so hard as a kid that when I had an opportunity to catch up a little bit with the playing stuff, you know, that all my buddies were doing at school and at parties afterwards and whatnot, uh, I, I would. So as soon as I started to have freedom or to get away from, you know, the parental eyeball. Uh, so 16, as soon as I could start driving. Um, mm-hmm. And then I moved out the second I was 18, not because, you know, home life was crap. It was just because like, let's, let's go, let's get started with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a, a hedonist. So I just, I, I didn't understand the concept of, well, you've had three drinks and you got a good buzz, but five drinks would be awesome. You know, now you mm-hmm. can get drunk instead of just buzzed or so I just kind of always took it further than you probably should just because I didn't understand the concept of, you know, having just a good time when you could have a quote, great time. That's mm-hmm. what I thought more was. <laughs> So, um, so I wasn't doing it to, to fill a hole or to mask pain. I don't think, um, it was all just about let's, let's get after it. And then that just isn't cute after, you know, 30, 31, 32, it was sort of like my cutoff time and, um, meeting, meeting, a a a, a girlfriend slash wife, um, who became my wife that, that was, worth to me making a bigger adjustment or earlier adjustment than I wanted to, uh, it, it kind of forced that, uh, that, that change for me and haven't had a drink since. Did this Amanda like throw down, throw years. down the hammer? Was she like, Hey, well, she didn't really throw down the hammer, but she was, you know, she had lost a boyfriend to an overdose long before I ever met her. So she had kind of a zero tolerance for, for any kind of uh, you know, that stuff. And I was already dialing it way, way down. And so as she was kind of putting the screws to me, not screws to me, she was just saying like, why are you still doing it even just a little bit? And I was like, well, because I'm not doing it a lot of it, you know, I mean, like I'm only doing this like a couple times a month now, you know, like, that's great. I should be able to, she was like, well, but, you're that close to just shutting it off. Why don't you just do that? I was like, well, Mm. you know, screw you. Like, what about all the progress I've made? So there was that sort of impasse and it kind of got to the point, well, are you going to come to me or am I going to go to you uh, with this compromise? And we took some time to think about it and 
we ended up coming back together with some overlap where she kind of was going to come my direction. And I decided to kind of go her direction mm-hmm. and, uh, and off we went and it's, you know, it's been, you know, wow. fantastic do you think it's going to be hard for you, Jason? You've got your girls are, I think what, 14 and nine somewhere yeah. in that, in yeah. that vicinity. Yeah. So is it going to oh, be Jesus. hard for you when they get to an age where, you know, the, these influences come in, kids have to navigate it. I've been through it. I have 20 plus well, year old daughters. 14, you're almost there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess have a 13 year old boy and I'm watching what his friends are doing in the world that he's surrounded in now. I'm like, holy shit, man. It's yeah. scary. Like, is that hard is. for you to, to let her find her own way, knowing what the traps are out there as, as somebody who loves her, you know, more than anybody will ever love her? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, uh, I'm sure you guys would agree. It, it, it would be a fool's errand to think you can keep them in a bubble. Um, they are going to be exposed to this stuff, uh, at an earlier age, even than we were. Um, and so the best, the best defense or safety mechanism, not only for mom and dad's mental health, but, you know, obviously most important thing for the, for, for the kids wellbeing is to arm them with a decision-making device that is as pristine as possible, that is as um, capable as possible. Uh, that when you have a, a choice, a challenge, a decision to make, you've got the kind of uh, coping mechanism that can yield something positive, you know, and, and that might even be trying it, but you have, you know, assess the situation where, okay, if I'm going to do it, this is the group of people, or this is the situation. I'm not advocating that they try it now or at any point, but it, I think it's just naive to think that they're not going to. So you just hope that they are smart enough to make the decisions that we did, I'm assuming. I mean, I know that I was very deliberate about the first time I tried X or the first time I tried Y. It wasn't the first time it was around me. You know, it was, okay, can I handle this if I really like it? Or can I handle this if I get too drunk or too high or whatever, you know, am I in a safe place? I'm not, I don't Mm -hmm. have to drive home tonight. You know, all those little things. Do you Um, think those, those decisions though are informed by the way that you have brought up your daughters or are bringing up your daughters? Because speaking from experience, you know, I was 16 years old. I got expelled from Crossroads. I worked at CAA in the mailroom. I was, I met a girl who turned out to be a Heidi Fleiss, you know, high class, escort who I had a relationship with for eight months, going to Hollywood parties where there was massive amounts of drugs, still to this day have never even tried cocaine because I looked at what was going on as a 16-year-old boy with twenty mid-20s people, and it turned me off. I was like, Jesus Christ. There you You go. That's a perfect example. But your your ability to see that as something that was not right for you, that didn't fit for you, is the definition of having a healthy perspective, the ability to compare who you are, who you want to be, who you like to think of yourself as, and is it a fit with this external opportunity? You know, sometimes that's a job. Sometimes that's a friend. Sometimes that's a girlfriend. In this case, it was a drug. You just that's what I mean about you want to give them enough sense of self where when they have life 
opportunities and, and, and situations that present themselves or which there are thousands a day, she can make a, a healthy decision about whether that's a fit for her or not. You know? And it and all, then, and it all, and it all gets back to communication and, and it gets back to having an open line, not just down the family tree, but up the family tree. So I would imagine that's always going to be a challenge for you guys. If she knows your story and where you've been for her to then open up and say, Hey dad, I, you know, this part That's is a good question. Understood. Do they know? Do they sort of know your journey? Do they know your story? Yeah. yeah, they don't know all the you know the details of it, but she certainly knows that um, I've I've gone that way and have stopped and come back and um, am wiser for it. So you know, I, I should not be surprised. Unfortunately, if she says, "Hey, I tried it like you did," and I'm struggling with it like you did. How did you get like that? Shouldn't shock me. God willing, that never happens. But I can't be hypocritical, you know. And so, again, I'm I'm sort of letting her know, listen, you'll never get in trouble if you're honest with me. You just, mm-hmm. just know that you can trust me. Come to me with whatever you want. As long as you're honest with me, I'll never get mad at you. And just know that you have that. You can always I have the exact same philosophy. The number of times that I've said that to my kids, just tell me the truth and and I will not get upset. I don't care what it is. If you're coming to me with the truth, we're good. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's hard for them because hopefully they, they feel about us as we want them to feel about us, which is that they really value our our opinion of them our friendship and and that will probably be the biggest barrier between them telling us the truth or not they're not worried about getting grounded they're worried about disappointing us and us losing respect for them and so there's that too so i got i got to i got to update my speech to them which is you know that i'll never lose respect for you or i'll never my opinion will never drop i'll never love you less mm-hmm. um, no matter what you tell me it's funny. I was going to say, you know, so many of the binge worthy shows, the truth is so far buried, like a Breaking Bad or whatever. The wife doesn't even know. But then I'm thinking of your show and the yeah. kids are in on it. I mean, right. the kids, yeah. it, you know, it's like it is, everything yeah. is a wide open situation. And your son in the show is written so brilliantly. And the daughter is just kind of always pulling against it and whatever, but they're in, they're in on the secret. It happens early on in, in the season. So it's kind of interesting that, that your show, the kids that were talking about this and, and that's, that's the way it is. Yeah, it, it is actually, a, you're right. It's uh, I hadn't thought about it, but it is a, um, sort of a, a good parallel to what I'm talking about. Uh, careful what you wish for. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah this, dad's laundering money from a Mexican drug cartel. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, Look, it's such a heightened situation that anything that could happen in L.A. with your two beautiful daughters is going to pale in comparison to running money and right. drugs through mid-Missouri. Yeah, fortunately, the even even the most exaggerated example of what we were just talking about with the girls would not warrant you know people's attention on a, on a television show. <laughs> yeah, we've goosed it a bit to get your attention on Ozark. We've gone into money laundering and a drug cartel, uh, but it is it, it is a, a a heightened example of what we're talking about, um, and the. You know, that's all Chris Mundy's fault. He's just a fantastic writer and his whole staff there. And um, they they just they somehow figure out a way to keep the the plot escalating at this sort of established pitch, this angle that hasn't tapered off or plateaued or 
or, 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 or bent at all. Uh, and I think we're going to finish this thing without ever have to having to come off the throttle. Cause you know, the worry is if you are at that kind of plot escalation pitch, you're going to end up jumping the shark. If you stick around mm-hmm. too long, like shit can't keep getting worse and worse. Jumping and the worse. catfish. Jumping the catfish. Very nice. Yeah. Um, but I, now that, you know, we're, I know, I know what the end is and, you know, we're doing Hit it with the high. Um, <laughs> you and, do know uh, what the end is. What do you have? One more season in you? Is that, yeah, we're doing our final right now, but instead of doing 10 episodes, which we usually do, we're doing 14 episodes in this final season. And then I think what Netflix is going to do is they're going to split it in half. They're going to do seven and seven in the way in which they mm. release it. So it'll really be like a short season four and a short season five. So really the final two seasons. But we're Are you finished? Are you done? Are you out? Have you a shot at all? No, no. We're only in the middle now. We'll finish uh, end of October. That's so what about, what about just, what about just being away from the kids, you know, and, and being an actor and being a director, especially a director, honestly, because that's more time consuming than anything else. So you are just, you know, you're on location, you're away you know, how do you square that with your guilt or do you have guilt or, you know, yeah, I went I, through that as a kid. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't, I mean, I guess I do have a little bit of a guilt, but my mother was a, a, a stewardess for Pan Am when, as I was growing up all, every year when I was growing up and she was gone two weeks of every month. So she's gone half the month, um, my whole upbringing. And then my dad was, either on location or down in the basement writing a script or whatever. So my sister and I were very much kind of latchkey kids. So I, I'm, I don't see it as like a huge, you know, breach of the, of the norms. Uh, the fact that I'm gone during the, the work week for the most part, I come home every weekend. Um, you do. Yeah. So I see, I see my kid now as, as luxurious as that sounds, I, I'm still only seeing the kids eight days a month which, you know, ain't great. Uh, but it is nice that we have that, that frequency, that routine, something we can rely on. And, um, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it if it was any other way. That was, that was a, a keen negotiation, uh, point, you know, because there, the reason we're doing it in Georgia is, is as I said, because that tax rebate. So, the production company saving money by us being there. And so it was like, well, then, all right, uh, why don't you spend some of that savings by, you know, letting me try to keep the family together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's scary. I mean, not scary, but you wonder, and I, I, mean, I guess I'm just speaking personally, you know, um, I, I just, again, my dad sort of left when I was a kid. Kurt came into my life, who was amazing, but he still wasn't my biological dad. So there was instability. Mom was on location. Kurt was on location, you know, and I think I went the opposite way. You know, I got hyper uh, vigilant about not being away from my kids to the detriment probably of my career and my psyche because I just didn't want to bring that upon my children, even though it's sort of a false narrative, you know, this is, this isn't the truth because I love them more than anything and they're going to be fine, but it caused me great anxiety to be away from them for an extended period of time. You know, that's, that's, uh, and you listen to yourself and you, 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 you adjusted your career accordingly. And, uh, you know, you still are providing beautifully for them and you're still there driving them to school and picking them up and, you know, doing all that 
daddy stuff. I mean, it's, it sounds like you found a great combo. Um, I mean, I did. So you had I'm, a, I'm you having a, massive anxiety attacks though now because I that's need the a weed. fucking job. That's my <laughs> no, it's not. The weed yeah. is what helps. <laughs> um, so you had a, you had a, a, you had your dad out of, out of, out of the, out of the house a lot. Um, right yeah. when you were growing up. Yeah, but but he always it's really what kept me on the straight and narrow maybe boring, but he always made it a point to get on a red eye and come home if the Cardinals are playing at LA. He'd get on the red eye and come home and watch me pitch uh, in my high school game or he would take me with him. I mean, I was in every National League city by the time I was 12. So I I but I was bat-boying and I was in the clubhouse and I was, you know, on the team charter and I was in the team hotel and on the bus and I was with him and living that life and and so he was really more my best friend and when i said it kept me on the straight and narrow i i didn't want when he was home and he worked way harder than i've ever even thought about working i didn't want that time for when he was home to be wasted on him having to discipline me or me being grounded or me you know embarrassing him i live in a small town i mean st louis is is a small town. And when we all walked into a restaurant, everybody knew Jack Buck was sitting there and there as kids. And we knew that eyes were on us. It's, it's a much smaller version of what you guys have lived with, but, but it did, I was aware of it. And, and so I just tried to make sure that I wasn't in the car that got pulled over at 16 with a bunch of kids with beer in the car, because I, it would be me and you know, three others. And, and I, that could have easily gone the other way. You know, that you hear stories all the time of the kids, kids of famous parents, they yearn for the same kind of attention and sometimes they just grab it negatively, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think the fact that, that he always treated me like an adult and, and I knew that when I was three, four, five, he used to tell me when he would get this voice on, on, in his phone, in his office, if I wanted to sit in there and watch him do it, I had to shut up. I couldn't, I couldn't be making noise. I couldn't talk. I couldn't cry. I couldn't, knock something over. And, and so I was just mesmerized by what he did. And I just wanted to be him because I saw how much joy it brought him. Uh, you know, he was at his sickest in his mid seventies, but was still busting it out of the door at three o'clock, probably to get away from my mom. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, to go down and do the game and be around players and be in the clubhouse and players loved having him around and he loved being there. So everybody's got their own story. And, and I, you know, I, I'm. I just marvel, Jason, at at your career arc, and I know we're winding down here. But when when you when you yeah. gave that speech at the SAG Award, I SAG Awards, I I happened to just be flipping through. I'm not a huge yeah. award show person, um, and and I caught it. And I'm such a fan of your show, and I've always been a fan of your work. And when you got up there and said it from the heart mm-hmm. about, you know, if if you're not you know, getting a show picked up, you're not getting a role, you know, just hang in there. You're good enough. And I, I mean, I was on my, I cried watching that speech and, and, and I don't know why it hit me that way, but it it really was powerful. Sorry to interrupt, but I just, I want to touch upon this before you even talk, because that, that, that that really resonated with me. Honestly, my career has been what it's been very grateful for it, but I have not done anything that I'm really necessarily proud of that I, that has really touched on my creativity, honestly, on my potential talent, the talent that I do think that I have. And you're an inspiration to me. I know we're friends, but like, you know, to watch the second half of, of what you've done. And I want to be a director. That's what I that's what I'm born to do, I feel like. I want to create and make things. And and it is an inspiration. And how did you what did that switch come? Like if you could just 
talk about the moment when it wasn't working and then boom, shit just sort of happened for you or you made it happen. How did that happen? Well, it it was the rest of development. I mean, clear and simple. It was, um, it was, uh, you know, things were not going great in my career at all. And why, um, like, what do you, how well, do, what do you attribute to that? You know, I think it was the kind of work I was doing. I had kind of maxed out at people, you know, the, you know, how small this business is, the folks that, that, that cast television series. And, and in my certain area, it was, you know, it was a even smaller group. They were kind of like, Oh yeah, no, Bateman, no, we, we, we know what he can do. Let, let's read somebody fresh. Let's you know, an actor we haven't met with yet before, or someone who doesn't have high quotes, you know, cause I'd been at it and failing and whatever, getting hired for so that, you know, you're going to be paying double for me, a guy that's the audience might be allergic to because they're tired of let's get somebody fresh and they're cheaper. So it was kind of that type of thing. And then arrested development, uh, I was told about from an actual from a, from an ex agent of mine, Lee Brillstein. She called me and she said, "Hey, listen, uh, I know you're with a different agency now, but I saw on the breakdown that you haven't been read for this this particular show, and you might want to tell your new agents about it because I think you'd be really great." For I was like, "Oh my God, thank you. You you know you didn't need to do this because you know we're not working together anymore, but it's, it was so nice of you." And so I told the new agents, I said, what about, and they're like, yeah, no, you know, we, we just didn't think that yeah, that show's not going anywhere. Let, let, let me, let me read to you what it says on the cover sheet of the script. And so they read me this thing. And what it said was mm-hmm. basically, this is a kind of a, a guerrilla style filmmaking thing. It's kind of a mockumentary the, any actors that are not any actors that need big trailers and makeup and lights and all that stuff. Don't bother. Cause this is going to be like a documentary kind of thing. So and and they uh, they said so even well, I don't know what the hell this is, and, and I said well can I read it? So I read it and it, it was obviously amazing. But what was scary about it was that it was a single camera comedy. It wasn't a multi camera comedy in front of a studio audience. You know, typical sitcom which I was really known for. This was this was one of the cool shows, right? It was just one camera, no audience. And actually, even further than that, it's this like documentary type. Of, and it's Ron Howard is is mm-hmm. narrating it. And, and so it seemed like everything that you would not want to hire Jason Bateman to do. You wouldn't want him to drag his sort of trash is his his trash or his his uh, his his um, uh, uh, sort of the legacy of what I do is the is the antithesis of what this. So anyway, so. Uh, Mitch Hurwitz, apparently, who's the, the 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 boss on Arrested Development, he had read me for a show years ago and really liked me in the audition, uh, but didn't hire me. But he remembered that I did a good job. He told me this later. And he said, OK, so I'll audition him for Arrested Development. So I went in and I did the audition and I just guessed right. You know, you just you mm-hmm. got to guess what they need from that part, the kind the version of that character that's going to fit for what they're trying to make. So I played it really straight, really mm-hmm. kind of you know, non-performance because in a a sitcom with an audience, you kind of have to throw to the back row. It's more like a theater thing, but single camera, like a movie, it's all kind of internalized because the camera can get closer and you got to kind of think more than act. And so I did that and he really liked it, I guess, because he followed me out of the room afterwards. And he said, Hey, um, this, so that was great. You were great. Um, now you have an audition tomorrow for this other show I'm producing. Um, but, but this, right. This, this show. And I was like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Do I like this better? He said, yeah, you've read the other script, right? 
the, for the other show. I said, yeah. He said, you like this better? I said, yeah. I said, good. Don't come in for that show tomorrow because I don't even want the network to see you. So you did great. Hang out. Don't come in tomorrow for that other thing. And we'll talk later. <laughs> I was like, I, so I, I flew to my car and I, drew, I called my agent. <laughs> that feels good. I, I feel like I just got really good feedback. Um, let's cancel the audition tomorrow for Mitch's other show. And, and so, you know, I got that show and obviously it was embraced by the people in the business. Like it wasn't a big mm-hmm. hit in America, but the people in the business really thought it was cool. And so as a result of that, when that show went away, they wanted me in other projects just because it was quote cool. And that's kind of what I meant on the, on the SAG award stage is that, you know, I didn't take a talent pill the morning of my audition for Arrested Development. I was still the same guy. It's just about getting lucky enough to get the right job that adjusts the industry's perception or something, whatever. It's not a meritocracy. That's kind of the bad, the bad news about what we do. It's about being associated with the right project, with the right people that gives the person who's going to hire you bragging rights at their lunch tomorrow with their colleague. Oh, we just got such and such to be in our, like, that's a lot of what it is why you get hired or not. And Mm -hmm. it's an ugly kind of cynical fact. Um, And so people need to kind of right size what um, rejection is. It's not about- It also just speaks to luck. You know, it just speaks to luck. I mean, there's so much luck involved, you know, and it's it's like what you said, it's just getting, it's it's being in the right place at the right time. It's it's making the right choice. It's you playing it straight and, and hey, fuck, it worked. And out of you know, all that, I mean, what I what I hold on to is that you're a good guy when people aren't watching. Because if you weren't, your ex agent wouldn't have sent you that. Yeah, that's 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 a good point too. I think yeah. you're rewarded for being a nice person and yeah. being somebody that that you know you had a, a real relationship with this agent to say, even though I'm not getting any money off this. This is something that I, I know you that you should be reading for this and it changed your whole life. I mean that at least you know your your professional life the you know the second act. Yeah. No, I it's it's a great point and and she was uh that was an incredible gift. Uh that that moment of generosity. Yeah, when she she certainly didn't need to. Um and yeah, my life has been has been different ever since. Um Oliver and answered your question earlier and and uh, having the appreciation of, uh, you know, having gone through kind of losing it, I have such an appreciation and a respect for it now that I didn't before. And so it keeps me sort of ahead, you know, where I'm trying to make sure I stay in a place that is worthy of people's, uh, you know, respect and, and them wanting to hire me. And, and so I'm trying to just keep my room clean, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. stay ready for opportunity and, and worthy of it. Um, and diversifying too, you know, this directing and producing stuff and friggin' podcasting and like, it's all, yeah. you know, we're all freelance. Uh, as, yeah. as you guys know, uh, we got to try to, you know, keep, keep getting our at bats. Do you love directing? More than anything just because yeah. it's so challenging for me. And, and, and it asks everything that I've, that I've learned or tried to, um, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, acting is, is not easy, but it's much more comfortable for me because I've been doing it for so long. The directing asks of me the, the, the lesser knowledge that I have of all the other departments, but you need all those other departments to kind of shape that experience for the audience. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's really humbling to collaborate with, you know, 
lighting and camera and music and editing and all of these things uh, and, 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 and deferring to them and collaborating with them. That is, that is, it is mm-hmm. team sports for sure. And when you watch yourself, cause I hate watching myself, but you do learn from it. So what's the percentage that you like and the percentage that you're just like, holy shit, who are you? Why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, I'll bet, I'll bet if I was playing characters that were more challenging for me as an actor, uh, if I had the courage to do that, I would probably be sickened with how bad I am, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of playing the character that is the audience in most things that I do, you know, sort of the straight man, the guy in the middle, the guy that you sort of cut to, to react to the weirdo or react to the scary person, or, you know, I, I like playing that sort of glue, sort of the, the proxy for the audience. And that's probably why I like directing too, because that person is 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 contextualizing what's going on for the audience. And so mm-hmm. if I can have a job where I'm doing both, where I have a hand on the wheel on you know in front of the camera and another hand on the wheel behind the camera, now I can really bite off something that's really tonally complicated, whether it's a comedy or a drama, because I'm the face of it and I'm kind of pulling the levers behind the camera too. So uh, that's 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 the that's mm-hmm. the cocktail I, I really get have a good time yeah. well congratulations awesome, on no social media i don't know how you've pulled that off although i think <laughs> there's there's a twitter uh, there's a twitter uh 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 lane for me i yeah. I, I tweet okay twat, whatever it is uh, yeah you twat you twat yeah. that's the past twat. tense <laughs> that uh, Wait, I, I i actually have a, a question because you've known joe for a while now right you're a ma- massive dodgers fan massive baseball fan oh, was there a time before you knew joe buck that you did not like Joe Buck? Never. Never. Truly, never. You well, never thought a, that Joe Buck didn't like our Dodgers? Our Dodgers. Look at you, front runner. <laughs> Wait, we'll say you it said again. There said wasn't never, a point in time. Oh, go ahead. You, there was never a point in time where you thought Joe Buck was rooting against the Dodgers or didn't like the Dodgers. Or you're like, oh, fucking sure Joe he, Buck. I'm sure he was. Uh, you know, being a Cardinal fan, uh, oh, you've got God. no business rooting for the Dodgers. Um, although you had our number all the way through the 90s, I think. The Angels and the Cardinals, we could not be. Um, for some now, reason, could they, they they owned Kershaw, too. Yeah. They, they owned well, him, which and guys, he's one of the greatest of all time. You guys just played a great series against us. Um, well, I guess we got one more game left with you guys, but... Last night, uh, what's what's the name? Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, the catch he made in the corner to end oh, the game. What a heartbreaker! That I was know. a great, great game. But um, listen, uh, if you're going to be super passionate about one team in, in the National League and it's not the Dodgers, I I get it with the Cardinals. I mean, the history of that team, the support in that town. I mean, it it is it's the gold standard. You know, it's the that is a that's it's like like what Green Bay with football. Like it's yeah. just. We yeah. just don't have much going on. Like, there's no beach. There's no, you know, you've got 10 teams from we which to pick. the Ozarks guy. Well, yeah, we got the Ozarks. We got yeah. the Ozarks. <laughs> and, uh, and and so just so you know, people in St. Louis think I hate the Cardinals because then I do them playing against the Dodgers and, you know, Mookie Betts, it's a home run. I got to scream and yell because that's my job. So that's just the way oh, it goes. That's, that's garbage. No, wait, do you do the, do you do the Cardinals uh, no, home games? Too? I haven't done that in a long time. I did that like I think my last year was two thousand four, two thousand three, somewhere in there. Right. Um, so no, I, I'm not they the are, local they, guy. They, you can say it right now. Let's make news. They are your favorite team in all of baseball. Who the Cardinals? 
Boy, you're yeah. stalling right now. You better come quick with a yes. No, say, uh, uh, Jason, I love Good this question. Lord. Yeah, no, let's talk. I, I, I swear to God on the health and safety of my children, which I cannot be more serious about. Mm-hmm. The whole rooting thing, when I was a kid, Jesus and I told you that I, no, th- I know this is this a long-winded answer, answer, but this is the real answer. <laughs> no, listen. <laughs> when I was a kid, and I would my mood was made every day on if the Cardinals won or lost. That I would rise and fall every day. And I would be on those charter flights with the guy who just Lee Smith, who just gave up a big game winning home run to the Cincinnati Reds. And we'd all get on the charter and I and Lee Smith would be laughing and going, hey, they better back up the gin truck. Old daddy gave it up today. You know, that was like his line. And they're all laughing. They're playing cards. The money comes out, whatever. You realize that some of the kid like going to bed in your Cardinal PJs and the Cardinal helmet car kind of goes out the window but is there a piece of me having grown up around that team that will uh, that will never leave me absolutely my dad gave his life to that organization but i don't on a daily basis think oh my god i hope the cardinals i i'm rarely do even know where they're playing right. until i'm doing yeah. them as a game so the fan thing no but like part of my dna that yeah. will never leave me, and I don't ever want it to leave me because it, that that is that is who I am, and that's how I grew up. So, um, yeah, yeah it's a, there is just something so special about about the game of baseball as opposed to the sport of baseball that I didn't really realize until I saw the Ken Burns documentary about I don't know thirty years ago, yeah, um, on baseball, and uh, it is uh, I, I just I stopped following all sports a little bit and just followed baseball a lot of it. Um, and now, you know, I'm the dork that's the commissioner in the fantasy baseball league and, uh, I'm watching every single Dodger But I feel like that stuff's good for your brain. You know, like, like that is a release for you going running every day and not putting an, you know, iPod, uh, earbuds Mm. in, you want to, you want to have your alone time. You want to have your moment to exhale because I feel like you're constantly going, you're balancing family. And for you, your outlet is kind of going to a Dodger game, sitting with Hartwell and whoever else is on your list that day. <laughs> Hartwell. Gotta get Hartwell back out there. And, uh, and just <laughs> hanging out. I, I think that's great. And, you know, you're kind of like a, a younger, oh, well, more we male supposed, Mary we supposed to play. We were supposed to play golf, actually, the three <laughs> like of us. Bert, and, and you're like Burt Sugarman. That's yeah, true. exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, that, well, I guess that makes Hart, that makes Hartwell Mary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Hartwell is Mary. You are Bert Sugarman sitting behind home plate. Uh, you know, just <laughs> yes, yes. Now, Oliver, are you are you a Dodger fan? Because you live in this city. I have a chance to take you. Yeah, but I can't take Joe. Yes, oh, for sure. But Joe is not incorrect. You know, I I start following sort of late in the season. I, I just I'm not diehard like you are, but right. I'm an LA sports fan for sure. And the Dodgers. But I don't have to explain the game to you if I take you. <laughs> Absolutely not. I played baseball. <laughs> I that was my that was my sport. I mean, I was I was really? a pretty decent baseball player. Yeah. Yeah, well, I Kurt played pro ball. You know, Kurt played, you know, for the Padres and the Angels. He played Triple A. Um, he got hurt a week before he was supposed to get called up. I think Sandy oh, wow. Alomar got injured, and he was supposed to go up and play second base for the Padres. Rob, probably Robbie, Robbie Alomar. Sorry, Rob, Robbie. My bad, Robbie Alomar. Um, and uh, wow, yeah, so I baseball's been this. around me forever. Yeah, you need oh, yeah. to watch this documentary that is about Kurt Russell's the father, battered Bain. bastards of baseball. 
on Netflix. It's so good. It's his dad Bing was a longtime Hollywood guy, and just kind of cashed it all in to bring uh, an independent baseball team. This is real life to Portland, and they play. It was like this ragtag bunch of guys. And they were taking on affiliated teams, meaning the Dodgers AAA and the Angels AAA, and the and they were beating everybody. And and it was it was it was uh, Kurt's dad Bing, yeah, who who put. But this he all brought together. the circus to baseball. I mean, they were having all this crazy shit happening between innings, and you know, it was basically the bad news bears. I mean, he was taking all these really talented ball players, but who were just kind of, you know, fuck ups and. You know, right. uh, crazy people, and they just crushed it, crushed the leagues. Wow, Great that's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, battered bastards of baseball. You'll love it. You'll love it. It's it's great. All right. Well, obviously, we're both huge fans of yours, Jason. Uh, I will yeah, say this: you guys. Thank it you was it was worth the wait. You're you're phenomenal at everything you do, and uh, yes, you are. One of these days, the three of us. With uh, a person to be named later, I don't know who it'll be. We'll get out on a golf course and. and but we were really supposed to. Fun. I was saying we were supposed to play, and then it was opening day. At, at, oh, at that's Sh- right. Yes, Chavez. I had to cancel on you guys. I, you know, well, the Dodgers came through with tickets. You know, it's such a crapshoot this year. But as of yeah. June fifteenth, all the all the oxen free. Yes. Yeah. Um, so why don't you come back out to Los Angeles, Joe, and just let us know because we're here. We're waiting. All right, we'll do it. We'll All do right. it. Thank and, you, Jason. Uh, I get Oliver as a partner because he's and I hear you, Jason. Smoltz told me you're a really good golfer too. And no, uh, I wasn't that day. Um, no, no, but yeah, but I saw you tee off. I saw you tee off, and you, you you obviously can play golf. I mean, you hit you hit the ball very well. You know I, need I, mean? I, I, I need help. I need help. I'm I'm a mid handicapper. <laughs> uh huh. Sure. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jason. Uh, All right, well. buddy. Thanks, fellas. Have Thank a great you. Day. Thanks, man. All right, Bye, guys. See right, ya. Buddy. Uh Oliver, I I mm. right, I'm gonna hang up. It's twelve fifty. I have a match okay. at three. You do. Well, let's can we talk real quick about that? Yeah, What's yeah, up? yeah. No, I, I was only bringing that up because I was gonna say I know that in my sing I know I'm gonna lose. Like I go into a match. No, and I've I've already won one, which was a surprise mm-hmm. to me. And now we mm-hmm. so our club championship, you go you just it's like a big bracket and then you work it out with a person as you advance to yep so i've got a match today against the guy who won the whole thing last year so i I, i'm going to be pissed off tonight and i don't know why so much of my sense of self-worth is tied to my golf game but (laughs) as i three putt my way around this golf course later today just think of me just think good thoughts and maybe something will go in that shouldn't have gone in because you're thinking you get strokes or no strokes no 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 this is the this okay. is the this is the real deal. All right, let's Match do it, play. dude. Come on, get into okay. his head. Let's go. Well, uh, will you uh, give me some live updates if you can remember? Yeah, I will. I want to know I, at the turn. I'll I'll tell you. I'll be like, yeah, hey, let I'm, me know. Uh, I'm eight down with uh, <laughs> nine <laughs> with to go. Nine to play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how great is Jason? Uh, I, I feel like I feel like of all the people we've talked to. Mm-hmm. Just because he is fifty-two, eight years older than you, mm-hmm. um, he gives me hope. Yeah, I, no, I feel like there's there's a connection there, and I I, I feel like you know you, you, I've never seen you turned on that way, asking somebody questions about their career, and I and maybe that's it, maybe it's hope. I don't know. No, it, it's it's true. Well, I mean, he he 
like he found it, he came to it a little later. Yes, he had success, and then it sort of fizzled, and then boom, he found his creative stride, not just his sort of monetary famous stride, which is sort of what it was back then. He had a bit of a reset. Arrested Development happens, which was incredible, just such a great show. And from that point, he was doing the things that made him feel good. You know what I mean? That yeah. were that, that had that he was, had were, his qu- pick quality. Yeah, he had his I pick. Mean, now he has his pick. Yeah, yeah. It's and he's just a, he's so funny and just such a good dude. He's a great guy. Really um, great guy. I I'm old enough, as we said. I'm 52. He's 52. I remember him on Silver Spoons. Do you remember that show? Mm-hmm. Are you old enough? Oh yeah, with Ricky Schroeder. Rick. Yeah, Schroeder. yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you yeah. do any Which, of the theme song? I, I'm trying to do it in my head right now before I try it. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Uh, you and me, a couple of silver spoons. He had the train. They had the train that would go around, and the yeah. dad, the wacky yeah. dad, would with the yeah. Oh God, Ricky Schroeder's. What Rick. happened to that guy? Rick <laughs> was, on, was he on like NYPD Blue Part Two or what? He did yeah, something. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He was, and now he's just like I think he's off the grid. He's a big fisherman and getting into all kinds of controversy. I think. He he donated. He gave money to get the kid who like killed a bunch of people at a rally. This, you know, at like oh, a BLM yeah. rally or something. Like Remember, last like, year or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He bailed him out, and it was a whole thing. And yeah, oh, okay. Um, but Jason's awesome. That was a, that was really fun. I could again. I could just pick his brain for hours. And well, hours, we'll get the chance. Know. Yeah, you let's, walk let's, alongside let's, let's Jason. Yeah. I'll walk alongside Nance. Okay. And the four of us will tee it up. Um, well, good luck today, buddy. Um, let's go get him. That Why should not, be the theme right? song for it. We should try. I don't know what the rights would be, hmm. but that should be our theme song for this podcast. We use my friend Preston's music, which I love, yeah. but it should be. Here we are, you and me, a couple <laughs> of silver spoons. You live uh, in L.A., I- I'm from the Midwest. We're just a couple of loons. We're going to make it together. Daddy issues right now. Where's dad? Where's my dad? Where's my dad? Together. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. Okay. All right, Joseph. Be well, baby. Play well. All right. Bye. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. 